President Biden brought together a divided nation last night with a rousing, clear message. We're at a great inflection point in history. We have to do more than just build back better. We build back, we have to build back better. We need to do more than build back better. We need to build back, build back, build, build back better. The president gave an arbitrary State of the Union address last night to a mostly empty chamber filled with people who were muzzled inside a capital that was totally fenced off in a city under military occupation. Thank goodness we put down that insurrection a few months ago. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I have to say, it sure did have some insurrection-y kind of vibes last night. Though most people didn't notice that because most people couldn't stay awake. My favorite comment from yesterday is from KB, who said, Hey, Michael, did YouTube make you guys take out that Joe Rogan vaccine segment yesterday? Funny you should ask that. I just learned that apparently that was the case. You know, last week on my show, I read, for, I did a little experiment. I read from a peer-reviewed scientific study that was published on the National Institutes of Health that contradicted the prevailing narrative that masks are really, really good and healthy and helpful at stopping the virus. I, I just, I didn't have any commentary. I just read from the peer-reviewed scientific study published on the very National Institutes of Health that are supposed to be running our public health apparatus. And this YouTube was very upset about that because they don't want us to follow the science. So then I played this clip from Joe Rogan yesterday where Joe Rogan took aspects of that sort of study to their logical conclusion. And YouTube, they did not like that. They didn't like that. So we've got to be very, very careful here. We don't want to cite any scientific studies because the liberal establishment and its enforcement wing in YouTube, they're not going to like that because it might contradict the exalted Dr. Fauci, peace be upon him. So you'll have to go to dailywire.com or listen to the audio podcast if you want to hear peer-reviewed scientific studies because YouTube, it doesn't want that because we've got to follow the science, just the scientists. We got to just, we got to follow Fauci. We got to just do whatever Fauci says, even if that is in contravention of the science. Gosh, the internet making things pretty complicated for us here, isn't it? It seems like things were simpler in the past. There's one area though, where the internet has made things much, much easier. And that would be in the process of purchasing auto parts. When you want to get any part for your car or truck, head on over to rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is so much easier than walking into a store and someone demanding quick answers to things like, Hey, Michael, is your Honda an LX or an EX? I don't, how am I supposed to know that? You go, you go look, you go look at my car. And then I don't know, then they go, they say, oh yeah, you need this part, but we don't have the parts. And they go in the back. What do they do? They go online, probably to rockauto.com. They order the part. It costs twice as much. Skip, skip that humiliation. Skip that degradation. Go to rockauto.com. You can do it from your desk. You can do it from your pocket, just on your phone. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than saying, okay, it's going to be 10% more this day and 30%. No, it's just always reliably low prices. The same for pros such as myself and do-it-yourselfers such as you. Head on over to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Then write Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know we sent you. If you stayed awake for the State of the Union address last night, 
That is more than you can say for most people. Even, even Ted Cruz, there was a great clip of him in the audience because there, there were, it wasn't a joint session. It was just some scattered number of people there. And Cruz was sort of paying attention, but then his eyes would droop a little and he'd wake him up again. And, and this is very much in keeping with what Ted Cruz has said about the Biden administration, which is that it's, it's boring, but radical. (laughs) So it's a lot of the same old platitudes, but then a lot of really radical far left policies that they're pursuing. It was tired old talking points from a tired old man last night in the Biden address. Joe Biden, if you closed your eyes, which most people were doing, you could have thought that you were hearing a Democrat address from, I don't know, the mid two thousands or, you know, 2012 or something from, from years ago, he, he focused on that, that old canard about the 1% and how the rich need to pay their fair share. I will not impose any tax increase on people making less than $400,000. But it's time for corporate America and the wealthiest 1% of Americans to just begin to pay their fair share. Just their fair share. Sometimes I have arguments with my friends in the Democratic Party. I think you should be able to become a billionaire and a millionaire, but pay your fair share. Recent study shows that 55 of the nation's biggest corporations paid zero federal tax last year. Okay, Joe. And, and who did those corporations donate to? Who did those millionaires vote for? The bait that Joe Biden wants you to take is this idea that the Democratic Party is the party of poor people and the working class and the Republicans. They're the party of the oligarchs and the millionaires and the billionaires. It's just not true. Millionaires voted for Joe Biden. The big corporations in America disproportionately gave and vote, gave to and voted for Joe Biden. Wall Street, who'd they give to mostly? Biden and Associated Democrats. So fun. on the one hand, I think, great, tax them. <laughs> As H.L. Mencken says, Democracy is the theory that the common people know what they want and deserve to get it good and hard. I guess in this case, in our very corrupted democracy, it's the theory that these entrenched special interests and millionaires and billionaires know what they want and deserve to get it good and hard. Fine, give it to them. On the other hand, as, as long as we're citing studies, we should point out that the rich pay virtually all of the taxes in the country. I went through all of the numbers on this in a recent speech I gave for the Young America's Foundation. So this, this rhetoric is purely the rhetoric of envy. It's not the, even the rhetoric of greed. It's not, it's not even the rhetoric of I want something. It's more the rhetoric of I don't want someone else to have it. You know, the, the wealthy defined as we ordinarily define it, paid something like, what, 97% of personal income taxes? So what do they want? They want them to pay 98%, 99%? No, they just, it's just more. They just want them to pay more. But in this case, because the rhetoric is so outdated, Joe Biden is not even willing to acknowledge that the rich vote for Democrats. So fine, you want to tax the rich? Okay, <laughs> fine by me, Joe. It's probably not, not going to work out very well. Then he moves on to the race baiting. We knew that the race baiting was going to happen. They've been doing this not just for two years. They've been doing this for many, many decades here. Joe Biden says that the the greatest scourge in this country, white supremacy. The threat has evolved way beyond Afghanistan. Those of you in the intelligence committees, the foreign relations committee, defense committees, you know well, we have to remain vigilant against the threats to the United States wherever they come from. Al-Qaeda and ISIS are in Yemen, Syria, Somalia. 
other places in Africa, in the Middle East, and beyond. And we won't ignore what our intelligence agencies have determined to be the most lethal terrorist threat to the homeland today. White supremacy is terrorism. We're not going to ignore that either. My fellow Americans, look, we have to come together to heal the soul of this nation. We have to come together. Uh, white supremacy is, is a terrible, awful, prominent scourge and Trump supporters, they're all racist and white supremacists. We have to come together. We have to trust the intelligence agencies. Oh, the intelligence agencies who spied on behalf of Barack Obama on the Trump campaign, the intelligence agencies who cooked up with the Democrats a completely bogus Russia dossier on President Trump, the intelligence agencies who colluded with Democrats to try to overthrow the Trump administration for four years, I guess eventually it worked out for them. Those intelligence, yeah, we got to trust the intelligence agencies. Okay, buddy. <laughs> and what are the intelligence agencies? Just, I just, out of curiosity, what are they telling us? Oh, that the great threat is white supremacy. White supremacy. Because of what? Because some skinheads posted some memes or something once? Because there have been, I don't know, I, I, a handful, I guess, of white supremacist attacks in recent decades? BLM burns the country down last year and threatens to burn the country down again. That, no, 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 that's not a threat. That's not, that's actually, that's wonderful. That's healing. When you loot the Nike store and you burn down Minneapolis and Washington DC and other cities all around the country, that is healing and that's good and that's peaceful, mostly peaceful at least. But if you post some edgy memes, that's the real, that's the real threat folks. Uh, it doesn't seem very convincing to me. And then, and then when, when he's checked off those boxes, the old stale talking points and the typical race hustling, then Joe Biden does something that is at, at least tactically, probably a little smarter. He tries to take credit for Trump policies. <laughs> so, so probably the most popular thing he said all night, and you got to give him credit is Joe Biden said, we've been in Afghanistan too long and we've got to bring the troops home. The war in Afghanistan, as we remember the debates here, were never meant to be multi-generational undertakings of nation building. We went to Afghanistan to get terrorists. The terrorists who attacked us on 9-11. And we said we would follow Osama bin Laden to the gates of hell to do it. If you've been in the upper Konar Valley, you've kind of seen the gates of hell. And we delivered justice to bin Laden. We degraded the terrorist threat of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. And after 20 years of value, valor, and sacrifice, it's time to bring those troops home. Very popular line. President Trump actually ran his campaign largely on the idea that we had had a bunch of failed foreign wars in the Middle East and that we should bring the troops home. Then I, I remembered when I was thinking, oh, this is Joe Biden. That's okay. He's adopting this Trump policy. That's sort of interesting. I said, wait a second, why, why are we still in Afghanistan? A lot of people don't remember this, but by 2007 or so, Afghanistan was kind of over. That war was kind of done. And in 2007, Barack Obama, Obama Biden, that was the ticket going into 2008, campaigned on restarting the Afghanistan war because Barack Obama was campaigning against the Iraq war. And as he was campaigning to pull the troops out of Iraq, 
he needed a good war, right? If Iraq was the bad war, he, he needed a good war to fight. He said, we put too much energy in Iraq. We didn't put enough energy in Afghanistan. So then he surged the troops in Afghanistan. The, the current iteration of the Afghanistan war was a creation of Barack Obama. Donald Trump ran to pull that down. And now Joe Biden, half of the Obama-Biden administration, half of the Obama-Biden ticket is running against the policy that he himself championed and, and restarted in Afghanistan. Fine, better late than never, I guess. A, a, a really painful State of the Union address. I know a lot of conservatives don't like the State of the Union. Ben talked about this last night because he said it's, it's quasi-monarchical. It's against the American, against the libertarian sort of understanding of things. Uh, okay, it doesn't really bug me. I think there's always going to be some spiritedness in the executive branch. I think that's the purpose of the executive branch is to is to convey the, the thumos, the spirited part of the government, just like the legislature expresses the appetitive or emotional part and the judiciary expresses the rational part. It's, it's supposed to be an analog of the tripartite soul. And in, in practice, I guess in practice, it works like a lot of our souls in that it's corrupted and sort of broken. But okay, I get it. I understand why we do that. But in recent years, really starting with Ronald Reagan and then going into overdrive with Bill Clinton, the speeches have gotten really long. They've gotten really windy. They've gotten unbearable. Antonin Scalia famously stopped going. He just thought it was a complete waste of his time. Last night, it was the worst one. It was the worst one I've ever seen in my whole life. And I've been watching these since I was a little kid. And yet the worst job on State of the Union night, and the, you know, this joint address was sort of the state of the union. The worst job is not even sitting in the room or giving the speech. It's giving the rebuttal from the party that is out of power. Not a great job, not a job that anybody wants. Now, if you do want a great job and you want to find people that are right for the job, you should check out ZipRecruiter. If you are a business owner who is hiring, you've got a lot of challenges when it comes to finding the right person for your role, because you know that your people are going to be your most important investment. And it is so hard to find good help these days. Hiring can feel like trying to find a needle in a haystack. So what do people usually do? They post a job to some job board and then they just hope. They say, I hope someone sees it. It's like throwing spaghetti at the wall. I'm mixing my metaphors here. You get the point. When you try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles, they will go out, they will actively find those candidates for you. With ZipRecruiter, this notice gets sent out to over 100 top job sites with one click. Then their matching technology finds the people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. While other companies overwhelm you with way too many options, ZipRecruiter finds exactly what you're looking for, that needle in the haystack. And you can try it right now for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash K-N-W-L-E-S. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Last night, Tim Scott, Republican senator from South Carolina drew the short straw and he had to give the rebuttal to Joe Biden's fake State of the Union address. Ha, huh, what do I say about this? It was better than many State of the Union rebuttals, I guess. Sort of damning with faint praise here. It just, just didn't do it. It wasn't quite there. In, in some ways, I think that the State of the Union the, the rebuttal, which many people view as a great way to introduce yourself to the nation, maybe kick off a presidential campaign, national ambitions. In some ways, it is the guaranteed way to doom anyone's presidential ambitions. They never go well. Remember Bobby Jindal? Remember President Bobby Jindal? <laughs> uh, no, 
No, nobody does. He was governor, uh, governor of Louisiana. He was picked to give the rebuttal. He gave a, a very bad rebuttal. That was the end of his campaign. Marco Rubio did re- relatively a better job than most. And he gave the rebuttal and he had that awkward moment where he was drinking water out of a water bottle and it didn't. Anyway, you, we, we have not yet seen the Rubio administration and Tim Scott, same thing. It was pretty weak stuff, I felt. It, it tried to go in the right direction and then he kind of jumbled it. So I'll give you a good example of this. Tim Scott called out the Democrats for one of the most visibly difficult aspects of their policy this year, namely that they've locked kids out of school out of their education and locked them up at home for a whole year. Tim Scott calls them out. Locking vulnerable kids out of the classroom is locking adults out of their future. Our public schools should have reopened months ago. Other countries did. Private and religious schools did. Science has shown for months that schools are safe. But too often, powerful grown-ups set science aside and kids like me were left behind. So you see, this is the perfect Tim Scott oration in that you can see it's kind of going in the right direction, but it just kind of misses it. So yes, it was cruel and ridiculous of Democrats to lock kids out of school, specifically out of public school, because homeschools obviously were operating and private, many private schools were still open. But Republicans always say that public schools are terrible. They're not serving students. And worse, they're, they're indoctrinating them in this woke, poisonous ideology that's making them hate their country and not know anything about history or literature or anything else for that matter. So are we now, are Republicans now the pro-public school party? We're the ones who say it's, it's really important for children to be in public school. I thought we were saying that public schools were harming children. So now we're saying that not being in public school is harming children. It's just a jumbled message. When Tim Scott says, the science has shown for months that we can send our kids back to school. It's true. There's no scientific evidence that being in school would be harmful to kids. But for the last year and a half, I thought Republicans were making the argument that we shouldn't have a policy just based on the whims of scientists. I I thought what we're saying is that our politics should be based on more than just the scientific data. It should be based on ethical considerations. It should be based on our tradition. It should be based on our constitutional rights. So yeah, we're we're scoring the, the cheap point on how the science is in our favor, but we're giving them the broader premise that the science should dictate our politics when it certainly should not. That's the idea of the progressive leftists. That is not the idea of constitutional conservatives. Just kind of jumbled. Then Tim Scott comes out and on the bright side, he attacks critical race theory. Today, kids are being taught that the color of their skin defines them again. And if they look a certain way, they're an oppressor. From colleges to corporations to our culture, people are making money and gaining power by pretending we haven't made any progress at all. By doubling down on the divisions we've worked so hard to heal. You know this stuff is wrong. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. It's backwards to fight discrimination with different types of discrimination. And it's wrong to try to use our painful past to dishonestly shut down debates in the present. 
Okay, good. St- America's not a racist country. Great, really powerful message from the guy giving the rebuttal to the State of the Union. Because what Joe Biden is saying is America is a racist country. So Tim Scott giving this answer, and especially because Joe Biden's an old white guy and Tim Scott is a young black guy. So it's he's even got more credibility here to say America's not a racist nation. That's good. But notice what's creeping in here. Words like progress. We've made progress. What, was it, what is that? Well, we've certainly... In some, in some ways, the situation has improved in the country. In some ways, it has fallen apart, right? There's no question about it. In some ways, we've made progress, uh, especially on matters of race. But in some ways, we've actually gone backwards on matters of race. Right now, I think race relations are much more tense than they were in the early 2000s, for instance. So over the last 20 years, I think race relations have degraded. But even this language of forward and backward and progress and regress, does that not grant a kind of progressive view of history? When he talks about the painful past, this is a little bit of a tricky rhetorical tool for conservatives because what conservatives want to do is bring out and maintain and conserve the best of the past and then use what is best in the past and what is, what is good and true and beautiful to create a better politics than the one we have right now. Well, if, if the past is very painful, why would you want to look to the past for any sort of wisdom? And then Tim Scott takes this to the logical conclusion when he invokes one of my least favorite slogans to refer to slavery in, in the United States. He refers to the original sin. Black, Hispanic, white, and Asian, Republican and Democrat, brave police officers in black neighborhoods. We are not adversaries. We are family. We are all in this together, and we get to live in the greatest country on earth. The country where my grandfather in his 94 years saw his family go from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. So I am more than hopeful. I am confident that our finest hour is yet to come. Original sin is never the end of the story, not in our souls and not for our nation. The real story is always redemption. Oh gosh, this is so close to being compelling, but actually it seems very damaging. So Tim Scott has this line he uses a lot. He says, we went from cotton to Congress in one generation. That's a very powerful story. Tim Scott's family is very, very impressive. Tim Scott himself is very, very impressive. The line just reads like a kind of, I don't know, dated political rhetorical tool. Something that was, what was so refreshing about Trump is he seemed like a regular guy. It's funny because Trump is probably the least regular guy that we've had in office since, I don't know, Washington, <laughs> Roosevelt, who knows. Uh, but he talked like a regular guy and he didn't, whereas when Tim Scott uses that phrase or, or uses the address to describe his biography, it just seems like the sort of thing written by a consultant, like use that line and use it in this way that is very meaningful and persuasive and heartwarming. And it just, it doesn't really achieve any of those sorts of things. But then he, he refers to original sin. He doesn't say directly that he's referring to slavery, but I think it's pretty obvious in the context of cotton to Congress, he's referring to a, a, a line that's very common in American politics, which is that slavery is America's original sin. And the problem with that is that slavery is not America's original sin. 
Original sin is America's original sin. <laughs> slavery is not unique to America. The, ab- the abolition of slavery is in some ways un- is, is unique to the West. Slavery still exists outside of the West. And in the West, it really does not. It's not unique to America within the West either, certainly not within the rest of the world. But the idea that slavery is America's original sin is a, is a really bad idea for our politics because it suggests that we can correct our original sin. We ourselves through our own efforts alone. And that is not true. When, when Tim Scott says that the end of the story is redemption, it's not the sin. The sin's not the end of the story. Redemption is the end of the story. That's true. That's, that is the heart of Christianity. But, n- but <laughs> not if the original sin is this one political institution called slavery. And if the redemption is through ourselves and through our politics, or even through, say, I don't know, Abraham Lincoln, or through the ongoing progressive work to undo that original sin, that's the opposite of the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is that we have fallen into sin. All of us are, are complicit in this original sin. And therefore, we have this broken nature, this, this sin and death pervade the world, but that God through his infinite grace comes down and redeems us. And we are therefore grateful for that. And we haven't really earned our redemption, but we now are, are born anew, born again. That's great. The, the message of slavery, America's original sin, and we're going to redeem ourselves. That is a totally progressive view of the situation. And, and I, I don't think Tim Scott intended that. I think he's trying to give a Christian message here. But it, it ends up, I think, giving the left so much past bad, future good. We're going to do it through the great work of progressives. In fact, progressives are going to set us back, if anything, to use that same kind of language. Ben is going to be talking about Biden's coma-inducing radicalism today. So go make sure you check in on Ben's show. Also, we got another high-energy episode of Candace coming to you tomorrow, uh, or coming to you fr- Friday, rather. Is it, what day is it? Is today Wednesday? Is today Thursday? No, it is tomorrow. Okay, good. It'll be coming to you tomorrow. It's very hard. I, I felt that I was I- I- comatose for about three weeks during Biden's address. Candace is going to be talking to Dave Rubin. He's going to be talking about Governor Mussolini out there in his state of California. He's going to be talking about the new <laughs> Republican standard bearer there, Caitlyn Jenner. Subscribe now, stream Candace live on Fridays at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, only on Daily Wire, and get 25% off a new membership with code Candace at dailywire.com slash subscribe. We'll be right back with a lot more. Tim Scott's rebuttal to the state of the, the, to the fake state of the union mostly fell flat and in Senator Scott's defense, they all fall flat. So he's, he's in good company. Nevertheless, CNN hated Tim Scott's speech. They were live fact-checking him during the speech. One of the fact-checks though, and this was a pretty big problem for CNN, although the viewers I'm sure didn't notice it, is that Tim Scott got got it right and CNN's fact-checker got the fact wrong, specifically with regard to President Trump's Operation Warp Speed. What also struck me was that this was not a message that was a Donald Trump message at all. He was not speaking to the base of the party, except in one area where he was refusing to give uh, Joe Biden any credit on COVID-19. He said the tide had already turned on COVID-19 when um, 
when Biden became president. And of course, everybody understands that Operation Warp Speed happened under Joe Biden, but getting vaccines into arms was uh, a Biden operation. You know, hold on. So Operation Warp Speed, that was the coronavirus response team. That happened under Joe Biden. What are you talking about? Operation Warp Speed was a Trump initiative. They got the vaccine within two days of the election. Remember, the election happens. There was this very convenient timing for the liberal establishment where they didn't announce the vaccine until a couple of days after the election. But nevertheless, Donald Trump's still president then. He was still president until January 20th. What on earth are you talking about? It was, so we got to give Biden credit for Operation Warp Speed, but Joe Biden had nothing to do with Operation Warp Speed. So they caught this a little bit later and this lady on CNN did try to sort of kind of correct what she said. Let me state, I misstated it earlier. Donald Trump uh, gets uh, credit for Operation Warp Speed, uh, but Joe Biden gets credit on getting those vaccines, those shots into your arms. Okay, so sure. Yeah, you're right. Trump did the Operation Warp Speed, but, but still Biden gets all the credit for the vaccines. No, he doesn't. He doesn't get any credit for it. He, he just took the Trump administration's plan that had already been implemented very well. And he followed it out and he, he followed it out. So to the T that all of the dates that Donald Trump gave on when these things would happen turned out to be true. So you'll, maybe you won't remember this because the mainstream media have done such a good job of, of memory holding this. But President Trump for months said, we're going to get a vaccine by the end of the year. We're going to get shots in people's arms by April. By most of America is going to be able to get this vaccine by April of next year. All of the experts and all of the Democrats told him that this was not possible and that this was a lie. And Donald Trump stuck to his guns. He said, I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen. We'll have manufactured at least 100 million vaccine doses before the end of the year, and likely much more than that. Hundreds of millions of doses will be available every month, and we expect to have enough vaccines for every American by April. And uh, again, I'll say that even at that later stage, the delivery will go as fast as it comes they can deliver. They're very good best, I think probably the best in the world. President Trump, you have repeatedly either contradicted or been at odds with some of your government's own top scientists. The week before last, the head of the Centers for Disease Control, Dr. Redfield, said it would be summer before the vaccine would become generally available to the public. You said that he was confused and mistaken. Those were your two words. But Dr. Slowey, the head of your Operation Warp Speed, has said exactly the same thing. Are they both wrong? Well, I've spoken to the companies and we can have it a lot sooner. It's a very political thing because people like this would rather make it political than save lives. And there, there's Biden laughing. No, he's not going to get the vaccine. You should watch the whole, we don't have time to go through the whole clip today. Chris Wallace doesn't let up. He and Trump back and forth and back and forth. He goes, you're saying your government's wrong. You're sa- oh my gosh, you're saying you're going to get a vaccine that soon and that it'll be distributed. That's all the experts say it's not going to happen. Trump's saying it is going to happen. This is obviously just a political game that you all are playing, that you, Chris Wallace and you, Joe Biden and you, the experts and you, the you're all just playing this stupid game. Guess who was right? Guess who was right? You have 
Chris Wallace and Joe Biden and the experts and the companies and the everybody and the whole liberal establishment on one side and all those really smart people in the lab coats. And you have Donald freaking Trump as if alone in the world on the other side. Guess who was right about the whole thing, about when you get the vaccine, about when Americans will have access to the vaccine. Trump was right. And the rest of them were wrong, which raises a question. Who should we be trusting on these issues of public health? public health, the most, the great, the, the, our true government, the public health. Who should we be trusting? The experts or people who have a little bit of common sense? I got in trouble. I got in trouble yesterday. You probably saw the episode. It was taken down on YouTube. The segments taken down because I played a clip of Joe Rogan. And Joe Rogan in that clip discouraged young people from getting the vaccine because he said, look, you're quite healthy. And so you just, some people are at a far greater risk from COVID and you're not really at nearly as great a risk. So, you know, if I were a young person, I wouldn't get it. Doc DeFauci, our great exalted leader, was asked about this Joe Rogan clip on the Today Show. He said, absolutely not. Joe Rogan, totally wrong. Don't listen to him. Everyone get the vaccine immediately. Young, healthy people shouldn't get vaccinated. Just quickly, your response? Well, that's incorrect, Savannah. And the reason why is that's you're talking about yourself in a vacuum then. You're worried about yourself getting infected and likelihood that you're not going to get any symptoms. But you can get infected and will get infected if you put yourself at risk. And even if you don't have any symptoms, you're propagating the outbreak because it is likely that you, even if you have no symptoms, that you may inadvertently and innocently then infect someone else who might infect someone who really could have a problem with a severe outcome. Yeah. So if you yeah. want to only worry about yourself and not society, then that's okay. But if you're saying to yourself, even if I get infected, I could do damage to somebody else, even if I have no symptoms at all. And that's the reason why you've got to be careful and get vaccinated. Yes. So if, if you only care about yourself, you disgusting, selfish peasant, then fine. Maybe don't get the vaccine. I mean, I'm still going to make you. But if you're a good person, then you should get the vaccine. Go jump in a lake, this guy. The vaccine, super duper effective, right? Vaccines, vaccine available basically to every single person in the country right now. So other than children, because it's not, it's not approved for children yet even though it's totally, it's great. It's awesome. There's no question about it whatsoever, uh, but it's still not, but it's approved for everybody else other than children. So everyone can get the vaccine just about, uh, but you still need to get the vaccine because otherwise, even if you're not at risk really from the virus, if you, you could carry the virus and be asymptomatic and you could give it to other people who are already, by the way, immune because the vaccine works totally great. So they don't really need to worry about getting it, but you could have to worry about giving it to the people who don't have to worry about getting it. Is that, is that the argument? Get the vaccine, sheep. <laughs> Wear the mask, sheep. So I'm, I'm not going to make any scientific point on, on the vaccine I'm not going to make any scientific point on the masks. I'm not going to make any scientific argument on the whole virus because I'm not allowed to. YouTube won't allow me. You see, the, the liberal establishment acting through YouTube is so confident of its argument that it will not permit me to read a peer-reviewed scientific study from the National Institutes of Health. That's how confident they are 
that they are speaking for the science. That's how confident they are in their arguments. So I'm not going to do that. If you want to hear me read the peer-reviewed scientific study about the masks, contradicting all of the wonderful proclamations of our public health overlords, go to dailywire.com because you'll be able to check it out over there. Would strongly recommend you do that. But I'm not going to do it because, you know, if we go on YouTube, we're not allowed to say that. I'm just going to make the purely political argument. I think the masks are dumb. I'm not saying that from a scientific standpoint. I'm not saying they don't work. Not right now. I'm not saying that. I'm saying as a political matter, it is disordered. This is a disordered thing for society to wear the secular kefia over your face. It is a disordered thing for society to continue to go around muzzling yourself, not seeing people smile, not going out, being able to breathe fresh air and see the expressions on our faces. Man is the political animal in Aristotle's term. Why? Because we have speech, because we communicate with one another, because we're social. That is the defining political quality of man. It's what separates us from the animals. And these idiots, <laughs> these power mad idiots are stopping us from doing that. And we are following along. It's not, it's not just do this for a while, then do this, then do this and follow. All. They never give up the old measures that they put in place. Savannah Guthrie, this poor woman, bless her soul, bless her heart. She's on NBC and she says, you know, Dr. Fauci, oh man, I've been wearing the mask, <laughs> you know, and I've been putting the mask on my kids and I just, I don't let the kids outside really. When can we allow kids to go outside and play around without the mask on their face? You know, it sets up a strange situation, especially when you start talking about kids. I'll tell you a story. I walked to pick up my little girl at the bus stop yesterday after the CDC recommendations came out. I took off my mask. I waited for her. There was no one else around. She got off the bus with her little mask on. She had to wear her mask. I didn't on the walk home. When are kids going to be able to take off those masks and play outside at the playground? You know, that's going to be the same thing that I mentioned a moment ago. It's going to be a situation. Well, first of all, kids will ultimately wind up getting vaccinated, but you want to have some activity in that direction before they do. High school kids will likely get vaccinated as we get into the fall term and children of any age will likely be vaccinated by the time we get to the end of the year. But let's not talk about the end of the year. Let's talk about the immediate or intermediate future. Kids will get vaccinated, okay? Whenever I tell them to, that's when they'll get vaccinated. And you sheep are going to do whatever I want you to do. My little newborn baby ain't getting vaccinated, okay? Not, not because I'm questioning the vaccine and the efficacy. Because he's a little baby and he's not, he's not at risk. I'm not saying there's no 0% risk, but I'm following the science and following the data. And this is, this is part of the reason that they haven't prioritized giving kids the vaccine. Kids are at very, 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 very low risk. But when can my kid go outside and play without the mask? Kids can go outside and play without masks when they have reasonable parents. That, that's when. That's going to be the determining factor. When their parents are not so given over to the neuroses of this bizarre progressive scientific culture that they muzzle up their little kids and don't let them play outside for a year. That, that's when the kids will be able to go outside and play. Absolutely pathetic stuff. If you are not letting your kid go outside and play, cut it out. 
if you were forcing your little kid to put the, <laughs> the mask on all the time, cut it out. Cut it out. Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on. Be like Corn Pop. Corn Pop wouldn't have done that. Someone wrote into the show yesterday. They said, oh, Michael Knowles, are you, you still think that people didn't need masks a year ago? Listen to that language. I'm sure they're going to try to ding me for this too, but look at that word need. Obviously we didn't need masks. We could have pursued some other policy. Other places did pursue another policy. Other, many people in this country pursued another policy by ignoring Dr. Fauci. Like, like some people in this room, perhaps. When you say we didn't need masks, what you're saying is it was not advisable. It was not this, it was not that. You didn't need masks is softening my position, which is a political position, not a scientific position. I'm saying as a political matter, this was very harmful to society. And that was obviously correct. <laughs> and it, it was, it's correct today. It was correct a year ago and it's going to be correct tomorrow. But because people are making this category error, we talked about this a little bit last night on Backstage, whereby the only way that we're able to think is through this very narrow scientific material lens, then all of our ethical and philosophical and political and theological disagreements have to be through that lens. It, this is accounts, by the way, partially for the obsession with race because race is a physical thing. So when we talk about evil, when we talk about bigotry, when we talk about redemption, when we talk about original sin, the only way we can talk about it is in, is in physical terms. White supremacy, this color, this visual, physical thing is the, is the stand-in now for evil in the world. Uh, that's, a, that's a problem because in order to have self-government, we need to be able to talk about metaphysical things. We need to be able to talk about good and bad and right and wrong and true and false. And uh, if you've lost the capacity to do that, then you are going to lose your capacity for self-government and you are going to let this freaking jerk, Dr. Fauci, run your country for a year or two years or three years or who knows how long this is going to go. Speaking of the nature of our political regime, Rudy Giuliani, America's mayor, one of the really great mayors in the history of our country, greatest mayor in the history of New York, just got raided by the feds. The feds busted into his office and department. This, according to the Washington Post, the investigation into Giuliani revolves around his interactions with Ukrainian figures ahead of last year's presidential election as he sought information that might prove politically damaging to then-candidate Joe Biden and pressed for the ouster of the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. CNN added, he hasn't been charged and has denied wrongdoing. But, but America's mayor gets his office and apartment busted into because he was apparently digging up dirt on Joe Biden on behalf of Donald Trump. Oh, that's what it is. That's what, this is a political persecution. Got it. You'll notice that prominent Democrats didn't get their offices busted into for digging up dirt in Russia on Donald Trump. And they didn't even really dig up dirt. They just hired this intelligence guy. They hired a bunch of spooks, one of whom was Christopher Steele, to create a totally uncorroborated, read, fictional dossier on what Donald Trump did in Russia. We know that the Democrats did what they are accusing Rudy Giuliani of doing on behalf of Donald Trump. We know that happened, but they don't face consequences. And Giuliani apparently does. He is at least facing intimidation. He's at least facing the threat because the American political regime 
is oriented to support the left and to attack the right and to only apply certain laws on the right and not on the left and to criminalize things that the left gets away with when the right does it. Which brings us to the political commentator, the right-wing commentator, Nick Fuentes. Nick Fuentes is this uh, quite right-wing young internet commentator who is apparently being persecuted by the regime. Now I say apparently, or I say reportedly, because Nick Fuentes says that he is on the no-fly list. He says that he went to go on a flight to give a press conference in Florida, and and the lady at the gate check said, no, you can't do that. And he said, why? Is this an airline thing? Is this a TSA thing? Is this a federal government thing? And she said, I can't give you any information on that. I can neither confirm nor deny that you're on the list, but you are not permitted to fly. I say apparently and reportedly because I've only ever met this guy once and it was a dishonest interaction. He, He was deceptive in his dealings with me and I didn't know who he was. And so I don't know. I don't know if his account is trustworthy, but I'm gonna go on the assumption that it is because skeptical as I am of this guy, I'm very, very skeptical of the federal government. And I'm seeing what they're doing to Rudy Giuliani. And I'm seeing what they've done to Donald Trump. And I'm seeing what they do to conservatives all the time. Consider, let's say the worst opinion you could possibly have about this guy, Nick Fuentes. Do you really think that it is just that he is not permitted to travel? He, a guy who has not been accused of or convicted of any crime to my knowledge, he should not be allowed to get on an airplane. But Patrice Cullors, the head of Black Lives Matter. She is. She's cool. Runs an organization, runs a political movement that burned down the country last year. She's allowed to travel wherever she wants. She she gets flown around to travel all over the place. But this guy, Nick Fuentes, is not because he holds opinions that are radical and that the regime does not approve of. Patrice Cullors holds very radical opinions that the regime does approve of. So she gets to do whatever she wants. And her movement, burn down the country, doesn't matter. Consider uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones. Is that her name? Yes. Nicole Hannah-Jones is the head of the 1619 Project at the New York Times. Totally lied. The whole, the whole premise of the Pulitzer Prize winning 1619 Project is the lie that the American Revolution was started to preserve slavery. The political philosopher Charles Kessler during the BLM riots last year he came out and he said, I'm going to start calling these the 1619 riots because I think the 1619 project was responsible for it. Do you know what Nicole Hannah-Jones said? She said, I'm proud of that. Oh, great. Please. I'm honored that you would call these riots the 1619 riots. Claiming responsibility, bragging that she incited these riots. That woman is still allowed to get on an airplane, but Nick Fuentes is not. Yeah, but Nick Fuentes holds radical opinions that I find very distasteful. Yeah, sure. What about Nicole Hannah-Jones? <laughs> she holds very radical opinions that I find very, very distasteful. And she's claiming to have incited these riots. But she gets, not only does she get to fly, something tells me she gets flown around all over the place. There is big money and big privilege for radicalism in favor of the liberal regime. And there would appear to be, again, I don't know if it's true or not. Tucker Carlson the other night, uh, last night or the night before mentioned this story and he said the same thing. We haven't been able to verify if this is true, but it would seem that the right 
gets persecuted. And from what's going on with Rudy Giuliani, it would seem that the right, even a much, much more mainstream right wing figure, former mayor of New York, former lawyer for the president, gets persecuted. And it would seem, you all know this, that the right wingers in this country play by a different set of rules. BLM burns down the country, they face very few consequences. The horn guy jumps into the Capitol on January 6th and dances around the desk. All those people are facing very, very serious consequences, getting pinched by feds, told that it's an insurrection. The left burns down the country. That's a peaceful protest. The right goes in and disrupts the Capitol. That's an insurrection. Watching, watching this speech last night, it was a very eerie feeling. I visited Washington, D.C. many times since January 6th. D.C. looks like a war zone. It looks like one of the places that the liberal regime would occupy in the Middle East. Barbed wire up, fencing up, the, the military still there, National Guard's still occupying D.C. Joe Biden giving this speech to a muzzled audience in a mostly empty room. It, it made me wonder, huh, is that what, if this is, if this is not the insurrection, what does the insurrection look like? <laughs> this is, when I think of insurrection, I don't know, when I think of a coup, it's, it doesn't seem very, very easily distinguished from what this is. Raises lots of questions about the difference between how the, go- the government is supposed to work on paper and the way the government works in practice. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, Joe Biden unleashes an interminable, soporific address to Congress and puts America to sleep while preaching insane radical leftism. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Mm-hmm.